where we're going to read our Bibles together. We're going to read this great story of uh, Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman, a woman at a well. It's John chapter 4. We're going to read most of uh, the first part of uh, John chapter 4. And uh, this is uh, one of those little encounters that uh, John tells us about in his gospel. We've been thinking about those uh, people who meet with Jesus. And John speaks. Uh, tells us this wonderful story of uh, this woman that Jesus meets, uh, a woman whose life has been messy, uh, and yet Jesus brings her to trust in Him. So, we'll read from the beginning of the chapter, John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but His disciples. When the Lord learned of this, He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, He had to go through Samaria. So, He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as He was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How, <coughs> excuse me, how can you <coughs> ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Then we move down to verse 
39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Amen. We trust that God will bless his words to us. Great. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to John 4, this uh, marvelous story. Uh, you've maybe seen um, some of those videos that uh, pop up on social media under the title, People Are Amazing. I don't know if you, you know, once you click on something, you get it for the next five years uh, popping up on your social media feed. And, and, and there are lots of clips of people doing the most amazing things, stunts on bikes and diving off sea cliffs and amazing acrobatics and ski jumps and all sorts of things. And there are no doubt, there is no doubt that people are amazing. We can do amazing things. I think also it's true that people are, are different. We, we know that one person is interested in that. One person can do things like uh, ski jumps and so on, and, and another person just sits and watches videos of, of people doing uh, ski jumps like, like me. And, and you think of the people that you live beside or work beside, there are incredible differences, aren't there? And yet, what the Bible says in all sorts of ways, again and again and again, is that Jesus is for all people, people who are incredible and people who are very, very different. And that point is made in these early chapters of John's gospel, where, where John puts two people together who encounter Jesus who couldn't really have been more different. There's Nicodemus, we looked at him last week, he, and there's the Samaritan woman that, that we're looking at uh, today. One's a man, one's a woman, one's a ruler, the other's an outcast, one's a Jew, another's a Samaritan, one is named, the other is not. One comes to Jesus at night, one meets him at midday. The differences could hardly be more stark. And yet John is making the point that, that this Lord Jesus is for both the ruler, Nicodemus, and for the outcast, the Samaritan woman. It doesn't take us long to realize that this woman's life has been messy. She's been through a series of relationships. She's now living with man number six. And the hint is that her circumstances are pretty difficult and pretty fragile. And of course, in some quarters today, the choices that this woman has made would be celebrated. You know, you might sort of understand the sort of thing that would be said. Uh, here's somebody who's doing their own thing. They're refusing to settle down. She's a, a strong woman who's been able to start again or, or has chosen to start again as a more fulfilling path opened up for her. It, it wasn't society's message then, but it is very much the message of some parts of society uh, today. Hook up and break up as many times as you want. It's about your own happiness after all. You, you know that that's the the, the, the context that, that lots of us find ourselves in as far as the messages that are going around us is concerned. And yet happiness is not what it seems she had. There's the fact that she's drawing the water at the well at the heat of the day, at, at, at lunchtime, uh, when everybody else, as we said to the boys and girls, everybody else came first thing in the morning. She, she'd lost all her friends. 
Or perhaps it's because she is ashamed and she doesn't want to subject herself to the the harsh comments of the other women of the village. And John has a little prop in in this story that seems to help us picture her life. It's it's her water jar. It it, it sort of symbolizes her life. It's, It's empty. Oh, she can fill it temporarily, but all too quickly, it's empty again, just, just like she is. Isn't that what Satan does with, with our, our culture, what he is doing in our culture? He, he whispers to us, here's a great way to be free. Here's what really living looks like. You should go for it. And then all too often, we follow his advice, and we realize that we've been duped, and our dreams just turn to ashes. So this woman was very, very different than Nicodemus, who we met last time, and she too needs, needs Jesus. <clears throat> and to her evident surprise, Jesus begins to speak with her. That was unusual in a couple of regards. One, uh, that she was a Samaritan, and two, that she was a woman. The, the Jews regarded Samaritans as sort of racial half-breeds. There was lots of bad blood between them. They engaged in this sort of tainted religion. Most Jews would not even think of asking a Samaritan for a drink. Indeed, pious Jews didn't go through uh, Samaritan areas at all. And yet Jesus struck up this conversation with someone who was very clearly so very, very different from him. And and then, of course, the fact that she was a woman. Uh, There were social conventions about how men and women related in public in those days. And, and, And this sort of conversation would not have been considered proper. You, you maybe picked that up as you, you saw that the disciples were really quite surprised that Jesus was doing this, but nobody had the courage to ask him what he was doing. So, so the woman's interest is, is piqued by Jesus' approach. And what does Jesus go on to tell her about? Well, how does he, this empty uh, woman who has, has, has had such a, a difficult uh, pathway through life, become changed to become a fulfilled follower of Jesus? Because that's what she, she becomes. Well, we're going to track the story through with four simple words, and the first one is, is need. Uh, need, mistake, invitation, and joy. That's where we're going. Need, mistake, invitation, and joy. Uh, Jesus very quickly brings up her need. He, he does it by talking about living water. Very attractive thing to think about in the middle of this barren area where water's at a premium. They're, they're sitting at a, a well that still exists today. I think uh, this is uh, maybe called Nablus today. I'm not sure if that's right. But, but uh, it, it, you can still go to Jacob's Well. It's in the West Bank, a difficult area to get to. But um, it, it's a well that's 100 feet deep. It, it requires considerable effort to draw the water up from it. But, but living water, well, that's, a, that's a, a different matter, isn't it? And Jesus mentioned it, and the, the woman replies, you've nothing to, dwell, to draw with, the well is deep, where can you get it? And, and later on she says, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep on having coming to come here to draw water. So, some people think that she maybe completely misunderstands Jesus. I'm not so sure. I, I think she realizes that Jesus is speaking about something spiritual. God describes himself in the Old Testament as a, a spring of living water. Maybe she knew that. She's not the sort of conversation that enters, not the sort of woman enters into a conversation about spiritual things easily. Oh, you're going to get this living water from this well, are you, Jesus? Well, well, I'd like to see you try. But even if she's a little cautious about what Jesus is saying, she's not entirely dismissive. And I think there's a reason for that too. What Jesus has said to her 
has struck a chord deep down in her life and heart, and she realizes that what he is speaking about is incredibly attractive, immensely satisfying. It's the, it's the very thing that she knows her life lacks. You've maybe been walking up in the morn somewhere where you have the courage to, to drink the, some of the water from, from some of the springs. I don't know if you've ever been there on a hot day and you've, you find a little spring bubbling up and you think, I'll, I'll, I'll drink this. And it just seems to go on forever. It's, it's a never-ending spring. You've maybe not got enough water with you and you're so grateful to find it. And, and this is the sort of picture, isn't it? Jesus promises to provide something like that for a man and woman, an internal spring that is never-ending, that satisfies our spiritual thirst permanently. This woman knew that that was absolutely out of reach for her, and yet it was just what she needed. And so while there might have been a bit of a glint in her eye as she's going back and forward with Jesus as she asked for this living water, there's also, there's also some little note there, I think, of just a desperate longing. Can it really be true? Could such a thing be true for me? And looking back at the, the mess of her life, she wonders, can this man really bring me the satisfaction that I have so desperately searched and craved for? You see, Jesus has pointed out to her her, her need. And that, that's where lots of people feel whenever it, it comes to Jesus. They, <clears throat> they simply fail to acknowledge their need. They, they're not prepared to admit that there is a desperate longing for spiritual satisfaction within their lives. They look to all sorts of other places to fill it, but nothing quite does the job. And so we need to say to Jesus, like, like this woman, sir, give me this water. But look at what happens whenever the woman does, does this. Jesus up to this point has been a master of diplomacy. He's just said the, the right thing at the right time. He's drawn her out, all of those sorts of things. Now it seems that he is tactless and that he makes a blunder. Go call your husband and come back. Now, Jesus knew very well this woman's history and so on. Why does he insist on embarrassing her like this? Well, the simple reason is that it's not enough for her just to know that there is a need. It's, it's necessary for her to see that for like so many people, she's been looking in the wrong place for that to be satisfied. And this is her mistake, of course. She's been looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. The dead end that, that, that she explored was relationships. Uh, it seems that that's why Jesus highlights it. You, you can just imagine her, you know, five times walking up the aisle and, and thinking as she sort of gets to the front, maybe this time, maybe this time, this will bring me the love and security that I crave in my life. And yet nothing quite seemed to work for her. We don't know if, if she sinned or she was sinned against, probably a bit of both as it is for, for most situations, but it just seemed to fall apart. Others, of course, don't look for this satisfaction in, in relationships, but in different places. It's, it's career or it's, it's family or it's possessions or it's reputation, all the things that we we sometimes talk about here. And yet, the, the, the satisfaction that we crave just proves so elusive, doesn't it? And that's because these things are not meant to provide that deep down living water sort of satisfaction that Jesus is speaking of here. They just can't bear the weight that we put upon them. 
You know, the, the, the way that they come across to us is that they, they, they promise much, but they deliver not enough. If you ever have remember running in school sports day and, and you were practicing and there were two kids that were holding the finishing tape. Do you ever remember doing that? And the teacher had told them to stand there, but then the teacher had gone off and done something else. And, and, and so you were running the race and the two kids saw you coming and they started to run away with the tape. And you, you felt... I, well, I've already run 100 meters. I, can't, I haven't got another 10 meters in me here. And, and, but they're fresh, and so, so they're, you can't quite get to it. And that's what so many things promise, isn't it? Here it is. Here's satisfaction, but, but it's just out of our reach because they don't actually, they're not actually intended to provide the satisfaction that only Jesus can bring. We, we, we make the wrong things the, the, the big things. I think it was Paul Tripp that I first heard talk about this when he said a good thing, so a good thing like, like family or, or, or a, a career that can be a good thing, you know, all of these things, a good thing becomes a bad thing if it becomes a God thing. I think that's really helpful. Only God is supposed to be God in our lives. And if we put anything else into that position, it, it gets twisted and it doesn't provide what we're looking for it to provide. Now, it seems that this woman gets what Jesus is talking about here to some degree because she says in verses 19 and 20, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, what's this? Is this some sort of red herring? You know how sometimes you, you, you engage in a conversation with someone and you, you touch a little nerve and, and, and they, they bring up something else to change the subject? <clears throat> Some people think that. I don't think it is what's happening here. It seems that she realizes that she needs God, that actually the things that she's been looking for are, are not, not the things that are going to bring her the answers, and that God is the place with this prophet as she sees him. God is the place that she's going to find the answers. But, but how does she find God? Does she find God in the Samaritan way by going to Mount Gerizim? Does she find God in the Jewish way by going to Jerusalem? Where do I go to get such living water, she says. Well, then we get to our third thing, invitation. Because Jesus extends her the most wonderful invitation. He, he, he tells her that, that the Father is looking for worshipers who, who will worship not soon in a particular place, but in spirit and truth. And, and, and in fact, what he really says to her is, what you really need is me. He's really sort of saying what he says later on. I am the way and the truth and the life. You see verse 25, the woman said to her, to him, I, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And, and Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. The answer is not in a religious system. Yeah, not a marred religious system or a God-ordained religious, religious system as, as, as the, the Jewish system originally was. The, the answer is, is Jesus. I'm the one you seek, he says. And it's very clear what he expects of her. He expects her to trust in him. And it seems that that's just what she did. Oh, there was still some confusion in her mind, but Jesus would be around for another couple of days in that area. That would be cleared up. But it seems that she does indeed trust Jesus. And there's one really telling little indication of that. John mentions it almost as an incidental detail. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, 
the woman went back to the town. Remember, we said that that was the thing that, that had symbolized her empty life so perfectly. That meaninglessness, where was it left? It was just left at Jesus' feet. Because their emptiness was gone, you see. And in its place, there was this spring of water welling up to eternal life. The void in her heart was, was filled. This is what life was really for, she said. And that's our last word then, joy. This woman's life was so transformed by Jesus that it causes a, a mini revival in the town. You see verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She, she's clearly incredibly enthusiastic about Jesus. And this woman who was once shunned by the village, it so impacts the village. You think about how challenging that must have been. She so impacts the village that others are prepared to meet Jesus for, herself, for themselves. But, but I want you to notice what it is she says to them in the first instance, why it is she's so full of joy. Verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's a striking phrase. It bears a little bit of thinking about it. How would you feel if someone knew everything there was to know about you? Well, you know that there are things that we would be proud of, wouldn't there? But I think there would also be things that we were ashamed of. There'd be things that we didn't want anyone to know. In the old uh, Christianity Explored course, there's a sort of little <clears throat> uh, thought exercise where we uh, are trying to explain what happens on the cross, and, and, and uh, we get folk to imagine that there's a book, a, a book that tells <clears throat> of your record of how you've done with God. So in the book, from the first day that you're born to the day that you die, there is a, a, an account of every time that you have uh, sinned, every time that you have gone against God's law in thought and word and deed, and every time that you have failed to live up to what God wants you to think and, and, th and say and do. And, and, and as you begin to describe that to the group, maybe it's a, one or two people, maybe it's a group of 30 people, you can begin to see the, the realization on people's faces. You think, oh, if there was a book like that, I wouldn't want to let that book get into anybody else's hands. I would put that into a, the safest safe I could ever imagine with the longest code on it that I could ever dream up because I wouldn't want to be totally known by other people, especially those things that cause me shame. I feel like that. You feel like that too. We, to be absolutely transparent before others is a really intimidating thing, isn't it? And yet you look at this woman. She knows that she is known by Jesus. She knows that he knows all about her. To him, she is totally transparent. And yet she is not appalled by that. She's thrilled by that. So thrilled by that that she tells the whole village, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She was a woman who knew about shame and yet she's thrilled that she is known. How can that be? I think that that can only happen if you know that the person who knows you loves you entirely. 
loves you entirely without reservation. Perhaps part of her story had been that as she took these various husbands, that what happened was that as they got to know her, they rejected her. That's what we sometimes fear about relationships, isn't it? That someone will find something in us that will cause them to step back from us or, or withdraw from us. And yet Jesus, He knows all about her, everything, and yet He doesn't turn away from her. He loves her. Now, if you look back through the pages of the Bible, really interesting this, there, there are a number of love stories that begin at wells. Uh, you know, some people come to church to find a partner. Some people go to a club. Some people download an app. If I'm going to start a new Christian dating app, it's going to be called The Man and the Woman at the Well. And, and, and the, the women in, in the, the uh, women's Bible study have been looking recently at, at, at one of those stories. Uh, it's the story of Jacob, who's referenced in this chapter, finding his wife, Rebecca, at a well. It's a beautiful love story. And, and some echoes of that story are here as Jesus meets this woman at Jacob's well in the heat of the day. Those were echoes from that original story in Genesis. So here is this woman who's had six men in her life. She desperately needs a better love story, doesn't she? She needs a better lover. She needs a better bridegroom. And now, at a well, Jacob's well, she finds someone who knows her totally already and does not reject her but wants her. He's, he's a beautiful bridegroom, isn't he? He's the perfect bridegroom. See, this woman who had been so bruised in her search for love, it's so beautiful that she should find the love of Jesus in such a place and in such a way. And in future days, she, she might think, you know, how, how fortunate I was that, that I would bump into Jesus on that day. Such a happy coincidence. And yet, of course, it wasn't a coincidence. Back in verse 4, Jesus tells us, or John tells us, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, there's a little more to that than meets the eye. In one sense, Jesus didn't really have to go through Samaria eh, because pious Jews took an alternative route. They sort of skirted around the border. But in another sense, of course, Jesus had to go this way because God had in mind to save this woman. He was, he was ordering the events of that day in such a way that she would bump into his own son, the Lord Jesus, and she would come to trust him. Some of us today, I think, can look back to uh, stories, our story, and, and see in them a, an unlikely chain of events that brought us face to face with Jesus. We had planned to be somewhere and we were late or our plans changed or we bumped into someone that we hadn't seen for ages. And, and, and just like here, of course, there's a divine hand ordering events, and maybe we see that, so that we would come to see the Lord Jesus and we would come to know Him. It's, it's a marvelously encouraging thing for us because it means that we were the object of His intention. We, we are not here today as believers by, by accident or even by our own initiative. This woman was not seeking Jesus. He was seeking her. But maybe for some of us, if we're not yet Christians and we find ourselves here and we find ourselves listening, 
We've got to know that that's not by accident either. God intends that we would hear and hear today of one who knows us completely and yet loves us fully. He's the one who, who truly satisfies. And he asks that we would believe in him. I would love to talk to you if you want to talk to me about that. And just now I'd love to pray for us and pray for us all. Let's pray together.